0: have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, we'll be looking at verse 22. Proverbs 17, verse 22. Solomon writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit Dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now, this is a wonderful text, yet there are some difficulties about it. As wonderful as the words of the verse are, and as wonderful as the subject upon which it touches, nevertheless, there are There are some difficulties and some dangers involved here. And I think that there are probably twin dangers associated with a verse like the one that is before us, this subject of joy, joy in the Lord, Christian joy. One is the great danger that the words could be misunderstood and misapplied, as if a Christian's joy was some kind of bury your head in the sand, ignore the hard facts of life, only think positive thoughts of psychological euphoria or something of that nature. This could be a kind of exuberance that would claim to be joy in the Lord, but yet a mentality that fails to grapple honestly and sincerely and face head-on the evils in the world, like sin, death, disease, divorce, war, Miscarriage, betrayal, persecution, loneliness, apostasy, and just plain old discouragement. Just plain old kind of -of run-of-the-mill discouragement. These things happen. And anything that claims to be Christian joy, but yet fails to reckon seriously and honestly with these things, comes up short, very short, of the true joy that Christ gives to his people. And so Charles Briggs, a commentator on Proverbs, said, "Liveliness needs a guard, lest it should degenerate into levity. Christian joy is a deeply serious thing. The froth and lightness that passes for it deserves not the name. As we said, there's, there's a danger that the words of Proverbs 17.22 could be misunderstood, and therefore misapplied. But if that is one danger, then there is an opposite danger as well. And that is that the words could be completely marginalized, jettisoned, and unapplied. And this could be the trap into which the realists among us may fall. This is the person who recognizes head-on the hard realities of life, the hard realities of the Christian life. They feel the weight of them and they come to the false conclusion that though the scriptures speak a great deal of joy, it doesn't really mean that we actually get to experience true joy in this life because life is just too hard. And such a person might say, it's all just so many castles in the air. I'll follow Christ because he's on my only hope, but don't expect me to be joyful about it because Too many things have gone wrong in my life. Too many things have gone wrong in the lives of those whom I love. Too many things have gone wrong in the world as a whole. This is the attitude of those who would marginalize and fail to apply the words of Proverbs 17, 22. But this attitude does violence to the scriptures. And what it says about... Our lives in Christ and life in the kingdom of God. And so think, for instance, of Romans fourteen. We were talking a little bit about Romans fourteen this morning in Sunday school, but when Paul is talking about the kingdom of God in Romans fourteen seventeen, he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, right? These are these are marginal issues. The kingdom of God is not that, but what is it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we marginalize the reality of Christian joy, we're striking at one of these central elements of the kingdom of God, as Paul defines it for us in uh, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if we fall into this, this attitude of marginalizing the joy of the Lord, we are acting and behaving as if we believe that God is a hard master. Kind of like that servant in the parable who believed that the Lord was a hard man. Therefore, he just hid his talent, buried it, and said, there you go, you can have it back. That's not the Lord. And so, if we fall into this trap, we're actually falling into the second half of the verse, right? Where he says, a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now, if we forget about the joy of the Lord, we're, we're living in the second half of the verse, whether by choice or by default. And the result is that it dries up our bones. It saps our vitality in our Christian life and possibly other areas of life as well. And this is not only detrimental to us personally and spiritually, it's also detrimental to our witness as well. It could appear to outsiders that, The service of Christ is actually an undesirable service. Look at him. He's a Christian. Wow, he's miserable all the time. Serving Christ must be great. No, I don't want anything to do with it. So what is the way forward then? How do we rightly understand and apply the words of Proverbs 17.22 in a fallen and sinful world? Well, first we need to understand the dynamics of a joyful heart on scriptural terms. What we find in Scripture is that there, uh, though there is a measure of joy and gladness that is available to even men and women of the world through the benefits of the common grace of God, just think, think of Paul uh, preaching to the pagans in Acts 14 where he said that, that God sent plentiful rains from heaven so that you might have joy in your hearts. He gave you joy and gladness in just common grace things of this earth. God does that, but yet true and ultimate joy is based on the reality of the gospel and its application to our lives. And so true Christian joy begins with the forgiveness of sins. It is this emotion of the heart that has been set free from bondage and has been reconciled to God. Think of the way that David speaks In Psalm 32. If you just kind of think through Psalm 32, we could summarize that Psalm by saying that this is the story of a broken man being made whole, being brought from despair to joy through having his sins forgiven. David starts out that Psalm by saying, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he goes right back and recounts his personal experience of what sin had done to him. When he kept silent about his sin, his body wasted away through his groaning all day long. But then what happened? He confessed his sin to God. God forgave the guilt of his sin. And by the end of the psalm, David sums up the condition of all of those who have been reconciled to God. And he says, But he who trusts in the Lord... Loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And so, this is the beginning and the foundation of Christian joy that there is a great and gracious God who has made us. Though we have been separated from him because of our sins, this God has made a way by which we may be reconciled to him through his Son, by which we may be forgiven and received into eternal life. And so whatever else may happen to us in this life, we're safe if we are in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. We have eternal life and the sufferings of this present time, as Paul says, are unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So our joy begins with the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. And our joy in this world, as we walk with Christ, then continues on as we abide with Christ, as we walk with Christ in fellowship with him, as we walk in the light as he is in the light. Jesus himself explained it this way in John 15, verses 10 and 11. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made Full. The believer's joy comes from Christ. His joy is in us, and then our joy is made full. We know his love and we walk in obedience to him. This kind of joy is is the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Just think how Paul enumerates that in Galatians five. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And the list goes on from there. And this is that joy. That, that we know Christ, that we obey Christ, that we walk in fellowship with him. And then, of course, Christian joy reaches its climax when, at long last, we meet Christ face to face. We hear something like the voice of a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation nineteen six and 7. And so this is the, the scriptural contour of the believer's joy in Christ. It's founded on reconciliation with God through the forgiveness of sins. It continues day to day as we abide with Christ and we walk with him. It reaches our, its climax when we go to be with the Lord forever and to see him face to face. Now, this kind of joy, by no means, in no way, undoes the hard realities of life In a fallen world. But it does transcend those hard realities of life in a fallen world. And therefore, we can have joy even in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and trial because Christ is greater than those things. And the victory that He has already given to us is is greater than anything that may come against us. And then, whatever earthly joys. The Lord may grant to us are simply icing on the cake. We could say, right? These are uh, things that are legitimate pleasures that the Lord gives to us and allows us to enjoy. And these come in different to different ones of us in different ways. There are pleasures that come to us that are completely legitimate because they are granted to us by the Word of God. And we should rejoice in those things. Now obviously the, the joy of human marriage, the joy of a good meal, the joy of a good walk or a good climb up a mountain or whatever, these things are in no way in worthy of being compared to our joy in Christ. But nevertheless, it would be a sin and a shame not to rejoice in these lesser earthly gifts of God. And it's striking, I think, that we read in Deuteronomy 28, about the consequences that would come upon Israel if they departed from the Lord. And we read this in Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will uh, send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. And The point is this kind of judgment would come upon the people because they did not serve the Lord with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, right as long as they were walking with the Lord, the Lord was going to bless them with these earthly blessings, and they were to rejoice in the Lord and be glad in him for these things. And if they didn't, there were consequences that would come to them. And so, then what does our text mean to say when it says that this joyful heart is good medicine? I think we can say that it means that a heart that is grounded on Christ and finds its joy in him and rejoices in his gift is the heart that will be a soothing tonic to the one who has it. This joy in Christ and his work for us and a proper rejoicing in his gifts is going to be, as it were, a medicine that sustains us and keeps us going in hard times. And as you all know, here in the world, very often things will go from bad to worse to really bad. I was uh, once talking to my dad about a mechanical problem that I was having on a car and, uh, and that was a phrase that, that he used as, as he described sometimes you work on things and it goes from bad to worse to really bad and sometimes that's the way things go here in this world in, much, in things that are much more serious than a car repair right? And if your baseline of operations for your heart and soul is not a heart that is joyful in the Lord, you may well get swept under by the current as things go from bad to worse to really bad. Your spirit will be crushed by all that you see and experience around you. Your bones will dry up. Your vitality will be sapped. doesn't mean necessarily that someone who finds himself in that position is not a Christian, but it does mean that they are living far below their privileges, if they are a Christian. And is also contrary to the command of 1 Thessalonians 5.16, that command to rejoice always. A joyful heart is good medicine to the one who has it. And on the other hand, a crushed spirit is bad news to the one who has it. And though our text is not explicit about this, is it not true also that a joyful heart is good medicine not only to the one who has it, but also to everybody else around him? And is it not true that a broken spirit does not simply dry up and sap his or her bones who has that broken spirit, but it also kind of dries up and saps everyone else around them, or can at least have that tendency? Isn't this the way that it works? Isn't it a shot in the arm to be with someone who has a truly joyful heart in the Lord? It's so encouraging to be with someone who can look out at all the chaos and the sin and destruction in the world with a calm and confident spirit, not because they're giddy and not because they're refusing to face the facts, but because they know the truth. They know that Christ reigns even now. They know that Christ has paid for their sins and that one day all things will be in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, to use that phrase of, of one evangelist, they know that Christ is risen, and we are going to win, and therefore they are joyful. Doesn't it refresh your soul to be around such a brother or a sister who has that kind of joy and that kind of confidence in their heart, even in the midst of a completely chaotic world? There was a pastor named Richard Hobson who was in England in Liverpool in the late 1800s, uh, he was friends of, of J.C. Ryle, and hey, he wrote a, a very interesting autobiography uh, chronicling his life as a pastor, and he told about this uh, this one woman uh, that was a member of his church, and uh, she was a, uh, a blind and godly woman, and he said that sometimes he would he would meet her as they were out on the street, and he said it was her custom, as we met at times in the street, to accost me with, quote, I have a life buoy for you, or I have a bunch of grapes for you. And then she would quote some precious promise from God's word. Oh, it was so refreshing. Isn't that the way that it works? That a joyful heart is good medicine, not only for the one who has it, but also for everybody else around them as well. And I think the opposite is true as well. Doesn't it kind of grate on you and dry up your bones when you're around someone with a broken spirit, someone who is always down in the mouth, always looking on the dark side of things, while they may acknowledge that Christ is risen and we are going to win, yet, nevertheless, it's it's a pretty glum existence until then. And they're not very joyful. And likewise, your crushed spirit not only crushes your bones, but it crushes the bones of others around you. And so... Brothers and sisters, what should we do then in response to these things? I suspect that in evil days such as these, I think we all could stand some good medicine. So what should we do? Well, the answer is found in those words of Paul in Philippians 4.3, as he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It is, on the one hand, simple to say, but it's much harder to live it out. Now that certainly is the answer, to rejoice in the Lord, but how do we do it? Well, I think first, part of what we need to do is to sit down as we've, as we've done tonight and think through the basics again. We have to, to look back to the gospel, to look back to Christ in all of his radiant glory because in a world that is filled with sin and death and disappointments of all kinds, nothing short of the gospel is going to bring joy, true joy, to our hearts Only a message of eternal life can bring true joy when we face death head-on. Only the message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God will be of any value to us when we have to face the reality of who we really are. Apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we're filthy and desperate sinners who have nothing in ourselves to lay claim on God's grace. And so we need to keep the beauty and glory of the gospel in mind. This is good news in which the Lord of glory says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gospel is the message in which the God whom we have offended by our sins comes to us, and says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be white like wool. Isaiah 118. The gospel is the message that Jesus proclaimed to Martha, whose brother had recently died, where Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The gospel says to us, as we find in Romans 14, 8, that if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. The gospel says to us that no matter what may happen to us here in this world, Christ's people are more than conquerors through him who has loved us, and nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus Our Lord. Now, surely this message is good news of great joy for all who believe it. There's nothing else like it on earth. This gospel message and this alone is a firm foundation to give us joyful hearts, both in this world and for all of eternity. It enables us to look everything squarely in the face and say that Christ has dealt with my greatest problem of all, and he will take care of everything else for me from here on out. Therefore, I will rejoice and be glad in the Lord. What can man do to me? Now, surely this kind of joy is good medicine for the soul. May God grant it to all of us in greater abundance. Let's pray. Our Father, we we pray that you would give to us great and solid joy in Christ. Lord, we know that the world that we live in is, is discouraging and depressing. And, Lord, we pray that you would lift us up, that we would not be frothy and light, but that we would be solid and firm, established on your truth, and yet ever so joyful in our hearts because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We pray, Lord, that you would build us up, that you would grant to us in greater abundance this fruit of the Spirit, that our hearts would be filled with joy, that it would be good medicine to our souls, that it would be good medicine to those who are around us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.